Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. All right, thank you everybody for joining me again. I first want to thank my Patreon supporters. We've got Shell at the $50 level. We have Sam and Angela Shelke, who are now giving $20.20 a month. We have the Plandemic Reprimando at $17.76 tier. And we have Perry and Ty. We have the self-made $10 level with Kevin and Katie. We've got the Refine Not Burn for $5 a month, Joe, PJ, Rebecca, Emmy. And then we have the $1 a month. The Courage is Contagious level with Amanda, Spesnasty, and Jay. Thank you so much for contributing. We also have these patches available on my eBay store. Thank you so much. Those, all of this is to help me pay for my legal fees. As many of y'all know, I spent over $60,000 and just got a $10,000 grant on top of that. So that's $70,000 I've spent in legal fees. And the reason all that's important, we're going to get into a little bit with the NDAA here with John Bowes. So John Bowes, he's a graduate of the academy, the Air Force Academy, and then went straight into flight school. And during that process, right when he first came out is when the whole mandate came down. So he's he's a very young leader, but he's he's not timid at all, which I love. I think it's it's great. We need to have more young leaders that are not timid, that are ready to, to just go and do the right thing. And that's what we've been doing. And he's been kind of the the unofficial leader, right? Because we're, we're not an organized group. This is This is not some sort of organization that we have. It's just people leading, men leading, women leading, and doing the right thing at the right time. So, John, thank you so much for coming on with us, and thank you for sharing some of your, being ready to share some of your story with us today. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me on. And of course, as always, these thoughts and opinions are my own. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Department of Defense or the U.S. Air Force. I'm simply speaking as a concerned citizen today. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting experience taking a mantle of leadership in this mandate. But nonetheless, I think we've seen some success now at this point. So I'm eager to talk about that and, and share my story. And I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. One thing that I've I've mentioned with these commander's call series that I did is there's two types of leaders, those appointed and those who emerge. And you are definitely one of those emerged leaders, which are true leaders, right? Because other other humans look up to you, other men and women look up to you and say, he's someone I want to follow. He's doing the right thing. He has a vision. And, and that's the best kind of leadership, I believe. Well, I appreciate that. Those are very kind words. Thank you. But uh, yeah, you know, when, when, it, when it comes to leadership, especially in, in something like this, where it's really everyone is on a peer-to-peer level, the lines are blurred, and there's no organization. Like you said, this certainly has not been a mutiny. It's simply just been people organizing in the grassroots fashion in order to uh, stand up for their rights and their beliefs and their constitution as oaths and officers and enlisted members. So with that comes interesting dynamics and challenges that have been exciting and interesting but also rewarding to see so many Americans come together and do the right thing. And it's, it's hardly taken leadership on my end to get people to do the right thing because that's exactly what we've been doing this whole time. So with that, you know, it's, uh, it's almost fun, as I say sometimes, to be able to have that responsibility and, and to work with so many amazing people. And I think it's one of those things that this kind of coalition that's been established across everyone who's spoken up about the mandates is going to last a long time and it's going to do a lot of good in things past just vaccines and COVID. 
So when the mandate came down, where were you? Like, what, what were you doing? What were you sitting? Were you still in the school? Were you at the end of the school? You just graduated. Give us all the details. Yeah, sure. So I had just graduated a Euro NATO joint jet pilot training. It's basically a NATO pilot training program that is somewhat selective, but ends up training specifically for the purpose of making fighter pilots. Unlike some of the other pilot training bases that, that generally focus more on producing pilots, some fighter pilots, some heavy transport, some tankers, things like that. And so coming out of that program, I was extremely stoked. I was given the chance to fly the F-16 and I'd begin training actually when, when the mandates came down. I was getting ready to fly my first flight in the F-16. I was only about a week out from that, and August 24th is when the mandate came down. I started wondering what was going to happen to me if I had to say no to this vaccine or request a religious accommodation, which of course is what I did. And on September 21st, a couple of weeks before I flew my first ride in the F-16, I was told that you either get the shot and keep flying, or you request a religious accommodation or medical exemption, and we're going to ground you. And that's exactly what happened, was as soon as I said, okay, well, I'm requesting religious accommodation, they said, all right, well, you're out of the program, you're grounded, and hang tight, I guess, is basically the answer that I got. Now, I certainly don't want to disparage anyone in my chain of command. My commander, especially, was was very supportive and, and helpful in this process, and he was about to, as disgruntled as I was, potentially, that maybe this wasn't the right call to make when it comes to just common sense and national security, but I won't speak from him on that issue. I certainly was. But nonetheless, that's kind of where I said, oh, the DOD made a mistake. They gave a board lieutenant with nothing but time on his hands. And so that's kind of where I started taking a leadership role in this fight was, was organizing people and kind of working the network that I already had in order to kind of put together something that resulted in what we have today, which is which is quite the incredible network of, of people and service members. And I won't take all the credit for that. Certainly not what I'm trying to say. But at the very least, you know, a network is what I created with a couple thousand people and, and we started to grow and connect with each other like we're doing right now and the rest is history. We've since of course gotten this through the NDAA and we've got our first big step towards victory. Yeah that that's amazing. I'm just I'm really impressed being so you know fresh out of school and being so young and having such a seemingly great thing ahead of you, right? Like I'm I'm a doctor. I don't know anything about flying, but it seems like the F sixteen seems like that's that's arriving. But what do I know? Well, yeah, it was my life dream. Both my parents were pilots. My dad was a fighter pilot. My mom was an instructor pilot. So I literally grew up in the Air Force watching jets take off every single day. I was obsessed with it for as long as I can remember. And I put all of my eggs in the fighter pilot basket from a very young age. In fact, I remember in middle school, I was already like, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. And you know what? This science fair experiment that I'm doing right now is going to matter for that. And so there was a, there was definitely a habit of excellence that I built and, and, and good habits that I created for myself that ultimately led me to where I am and I did not have a backup plan at all. And so it did come to a shock to me absolutely when I, when I got grounded and thought maybe, you know, there's a chance I'm going to get kicked out of the Air Force and I, I don't really know what I'm going to do with myself after that. And thankfully now there's, you know, a lot of options in the future and we're probably not going to get kicked out, which is wonderful. And I can go back to putting all my eggs in the fighter pilot basket again. But nonetheless, I think uh, from here on out, there's going to be a big focus on, on doing good and, 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 and making sure that leadership is, is held accountable for things. And what helped give you this drive through this whole thing? Is there, is there something that's, that's motivating you? Do you have a religious background? Do you have um, just a strong idea of what's right and wrong? Or, you know, what, what's, what's the motivation behind all this? Yeah, so you know, I, I call uh, I call on a real personal level. I call this uh, 
this this mandate that's come down this year and a half or so that I've been out of the jet, like my time in the desert. Because for, for a while, for a long time, before about summer of 2021, I wasn't extremely religious person, nor was I spiritual. I was I did not have a relationship with God or anything else of the sort. And, and over the summer, right before the mandates came down, I kind of had a come to Jesus moment, if you will, where I realized I needed to get serious and strong about my faith. And there was a whole number of different coincidences, if you will, I'll call it the Holy Spirit, that happened in order to kind of get me going back to church again, getting serious about my faith. And I fell back in love with my faith pretty much right before the mandates came down. And, and you know, the mandates, and, and the, the threat of the mandates were certainly a factor in me getting serious about my faith again, but it was almost independent of that to some degree. I think it was just looking at the world and what's happening today uh, and the, kind of the degeneracy and, and unfortunate circumstances that we face every single day when it comes to morality in this world. And, and I got serious about my faith again. And so when that happened is pretty much right when the mandate came down. And that was something that was an absolute blessing to receive right before that, because it's the only thing I could really lean on at the time, which was that, you you know, my faith in God is exactly what gives me the hope for the future and what lets me know that everything's going to be okay. And even if it's not okay, I know that the reward will be some other place in some other life. And so with that, that's really what I leaned on. And that's really what what, what gave me the strength to, to press on. And, and outside of that, just principle, you know, I'm a hard-headed, stubborn guy. I think a lot of fighter pilots are, so it's kind of in our blood. And so uh, regardless of that too, you know, just the simple fact that it was the principle, the matter, it was the right thing to do, was enough to, to want to fight this. And, and God got me through the rest of it. So that's really what happened and what, what's, what forced me to kind of start that. We could get into the, the talk about, you know, fetal cells and the vaccine. I think that that topic's probably been beaten to death at this point. But nonetheless, that was my primary reason for my religious accommodation. That, that's wonderful. And that, that was kind of, a, I had no idea what the answer was going to be, but I was pleasantly surprised and was hoping that was it, that it was a religious belief that pushed you through this. Because it seems to be that is what has helped most service members get through this. And Right now, I'm holding up a constitution and a declaration, and this document is based on religious principles, you know, Judeo-Christian religious principles. It's the only thing that gets us through. I mean, just how you said, it was like my going out into the desert, just like the Jews when they left, when they left enslavement. They went out into the desert, and it was their fault that they were there for 40 years. They should not have been there for 30. That was not the plan. But when you don't listen and you don't follow God, things get worse. And when you do follow God, life is better. And that doesn't mean that you're physically better. You know, like, that means that you have a peace and understanding that passes anything in the world. And so that allows you to get through it and to live through it. And you know that there will be justice one day. Let's talk a little bit about that NDAA that you had mentioned. So what is that? And what's the news on that? And just, this may be airing, you know, maybe a couple weeks after we've actually recorded. But but as of yesterday, there was a news report, I think it was on the Washington Times that I read, that said that, the president was going to sign the NDAA. Now, what are some of the implications? What does that mean to you? Yeah, so for those that don't know, the, the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, is basically just a an annual spending bill and military-centric bill that's passed by Congress for the most simplistic of terms. And really what happened with that is that pretty much out of the blue, it came totally unexpectedly a, a few weeks ago, and today is the 20th of December, a few weeks before that, that just decided that this is the thing they wanted to talk about. It, and it was super shocking to me and I think a lot of other people because for a long time we had got 
gotten responses from a few small coalition of, of, of members of Congress that they were supporting us and they would tweet about us and things like that. But that was about as far as it went. And then just out of left field, Senator Blackburn, Senator Paul, Senator Cruz, McCarthy in the House side, and a bunch of others just, just started swinging for us. And that's great. I'm not complaining even a little bit about that. But it certainly seemed to be that maybe McCarthy was hedging his speakerhood on whatever sort of politics were at play. And there's always politics at play. It worked out in our favor to some degree, right? So what what ended up being passed in the NDAA was basically just a very short statement. I wish I had it on me. I don't have it on me. I would read it verbatim. But in essence, what that says is that the 24th August memo that instituted the mandate from Secretary Lloyd Austin would be rescinded 30 days after the passage of this bill. So really, all that means is that the piece of paper that says you have to get the vaccine is gone now. Now, I don't know if anyone else can extrapolate or has already extrapolated the consequences of that downstream, but here's really the worst case scenario, and I'll kind of talk about the best case scenario as well. The worst case scenario is that the DOD says, copy all, mandate's over, but since there's still an acknowledgement that this is in a law this is a lawful order there's nothing in law that says that this order was unlawful we're still going to punish those that refuse the vaccine when it was a valid mandate because the NDA never says that this was never a valid mandate it simply only says rescind the memo which acknowledges the validity of the memo to some extent so hopefully i'm not losing anyone here when i say that the department of defense could potentially continue to discharge people continue to punish people keep their records marred by misconduct and basically just put us in a bad situation where we'll suffer through the rest of our careers and if we're not kicked out you know we'll be punished for the rest of our careers until until we leave um that's the worst case scenario. Now, let's talk a bit about the intent of the NDAA, which has been made clear by pretty much everyone in Congress who's who's fought for us via this legislation. And the intent is, of course, to end the mandate. And their biggest thing, and they really love this term, is national security. That's why I've said it so many times in front of a camera. I'm blue in the face from it already, of saying national security in front of a camera. But it's the thing that they want to talk about. And I think it's an impo- a very, very important factor, too. Of course, ultimately, I think just doing the right thing is really the crux of the reason why we're dying on this hill. But nonetheless, national security is probably the biggest consequence outside of anything moral that we can have from this mandate. And so with national security, their plan is, of course, to say, okay, well, let's end this mandate so we can start fixing our recruiting and retention issues, which are abysmal. And I can get into the stats or not. They're not good, if you really my word for it. Uh, and I've talked about it in other interviews before. But that's really the crux of the issue. And so if, if, if the intent of this bill was to fix national security, continuing to discharge the tens of thousands of service members who are fighting the mandates is is, is counterproductive to the intent. And so that's what the worst case scenario is. The best case scenario, I've heard some rumors that there's some backdoor talks about potentially just stopping all punitive action. The DOD is going to interpret the bill the way it was intended without having to play any sort of legal trickery with the law and the way it's written. And things are just going to go mostly back to normal. But I'll tell you right now, that's still not enough. No, that's not not enough, not enough at all. Not even kind of closely enough. And and the reason is if you, and I've said this a few other places, but it's kind of like going to the judge and saying, Your Honor, the defendant burnt my house down. And then the judge says, well, plaintiff, you don't have a house. How could it be burned down? Right, Your Honor, it's because he burnt it down. And so a problem with a lot of these is these, um, a lot of these cases are going to be considered moot, which means in legal terms, you don't have a case. Like, you don't have a case because you don't have a house, so how could it burn down? 
well, they already burnt it down. So how can I, you know, it's this kind of catch 22 and there have been crimes committed against humanity. And that humanity happens to be the military population. And none of, if this just disappears and we never find out that we never have it go to court to, to have this proven that there is crimes committed, then there's no precedence that's ever set. Like the the precedence that was set with was it the the Dover's Rumsfeld case with Dale Saran, and that whole case. The only reason that this is illegal now, it's unlawful to make people do something, but it's illegal now because of the precedence that was set in the Dover's Rumsfeld case, which means, you know, okay, we're not going to have a mandate right now, but in six months and a year. When everyone forgets about this, which most people never even knew about this, most civilian population had no idea what was going on in the military, they're going to reinstate it. But maybe it'll be for the flu shot that now has the lipid nanoparticle in it. And and let me be clear, I'm not saying that the... Sorry, sorry, one second. Let me make clarity. I'm not saying that the flu shot does have the lipid nanoparticle in it, but it's a likely a manner of a matter of time for that flu shot and every shot to start having those lipid nanoparticles in it because... Go back and listen to my Biowarfare Part 1 series, episode number 33. I truly believe it is the lipid nanoparticle that is the bioweapon. Yeah, you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole plethora of different factors that can go into that you know that worst case scenario like I talked about with with the admittedly weak language of the NDAA. <coughs> Excuse me, but Nonetheless, you know, in talking about what what's the actual solution, I really don't like talking about problems without providing solutions. It's just the nature of the officer in me, and and so when when you're when you're talking about that, how do we fix national security? How do we actually come to what we do in emergency procedures in the flying community, which is come to a safe and logical conclusion? That's why the way I like to frame it. What is what is the ultimate thing that wraps all of the loose ends up and puts it into a nice little bag with a bow on it that says? The anti-vaxxers won, if you will. And with that would, would come basically legislation that, one, reinstates service members with back pay. Congress, I hope you're listening because this, I think, is very important. Reinstates service members with back pay, those that were discharged. Two, expunges the records, the misconduct records of all service members for anything COVID-related. I think that includes masking and testing. Clear the records, make things right. Three would be allow service members who missed out on opportunities in their career to now have those opportunities again. Those who missed TDYs, those who missed schooling, those who missed PCSs and moves to new locations, that should be made whole again. And I think most importantly, probably, is an acknowledgement in law by Congress that this is not going to happen again because it's already happened twice now with anthrax. It's already happened twice. It does not need to happen again. And I think that looks at medical freedom. I think there probably in a perfect world should be a medical freedom bill that essentially states that you're not going to mandate anything anymore. If people don't want a medical treatment, they don't have to get it. End, stop, period. And I, I don't need, I'm not even interested in compromises on that. I think that's really the most important one is to make sure that in the annals of history, if we win, if, we're, if the Richters write history, like this is what we need to write, which is this is not going to happen again, period. I think the bills that already exist, 10 U.S. Code 1107A needs to be modified and made, made more clear to say that you know these medical products, emergency use authorized or not, are not to be mandated anymore. And I think maybe there's a big distinction there that's important is that even if it's FDA licensed, it probably shouldn't be mandated. It shouldn't be mandated. So that's kind of the perfect story. That's, that's the fairy tale that I think we're all hanging our hats on. Do I think it's likely that we'll get all of that? Probably not. Realistically, I don't think it's likely. But nonetheless, I think 
if we're talking about prioritization and what we should be talking about and, and what Congress should be passing, especially come January with a new with a new Congress that admittedly I'm not being political here as a service member, just simply saying there's more people that support us that are going to be in Congress come January. And those, those legislators as constituents we need to appeal to in order to uh, make some of those things happen. And so I think that's the next focus moving forward as service members who are speaking up about this because our work isn't done is it, targeting those things. Yeah, you made some good points. I think one thing that we need to go back and remember, is if we look at Nuremberg, so this is post-World War II, and we, we, as a world, we met together in this city in Germany called Nuremberg, for anyone who doesn't know, I think most of us do know, but we'll do a quick recap. And we said what, what the Nazis did to the people in these concentration camps, the Jews and the, the homosexuals and the, the gypsies and all the people that were the undesirables, what they did was so egregious that, yeah, there was no law against it, but it's written in the code of our heart that what they did was wrong. Like everyone, everyone knows that this is bad. And we came together as a world and the United States kind of led this charge that we, we took them to trial and we actually hung doctors and hung nurses. And I'm not saying, I want to make it very clear, I'm not advocating for vigilante justice. But we were the, the moral leaders at the time. And now we're the, we're, I wouldn't say we're leading that charge because what's going on in Australia is horrific. I've spoken to some people down there, and it's absolutely horrific. But but we're not far behind them. You know, they're they're locking people up, and they're they're actually, from what I understand, is they forced some people have been forced, held down, and forced, different than coerced. But we're not far behind them. And and you mentioned 10 U.S.C. 1107 Alpha. It already says in there that we can't have mandated or coerced use of e-way products. So it's kind of like the situation where. Was it Andrew Jackson? Andrew Jackson, he was taking the, the natives off of the, the reservations. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. And he said, okay, well, then stop me. We're, we're kind of in that position right now. Like, the law is on our side, but no one's reading it. How do we get people to understand the words that they, meet, they read? Are, they're actually doing the opposite of what that says. They're, they're disobeying those words already. So how do we, I don't know if you have a solution for that. And that's, if you don't, that's okay, because that, that is the crux of the issue that we're all facing. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a complicated question, especially, you know, as service members, as, as officers in the military, in the chain of command. That sort of advocacy becomes very delicate and careful work. Um, and I've, I've certainly done my best to try and do that and, and make it clear that, you know, I'm not disparaging my chain of command. I'm not giving an opinion on my chain of command, chain of command, excuse me, nor am I giving an opinion, good or bad, right or wrong on Congress. I'm simply just talking about the issues as they, as they are and being extremely objective about it. But nonetheless, you know, with, with that comes a responsibility that we all have for doing the right thing and standing up for the constitution and our oaths as officers to support and defend the constitution. And with that, if there, if there is a threat to constitutional rights in the form of, you know, a federal agency that's not following the law, the law which is, you know, appointed by members who have been appointed by the Constitution, right? That, that's, that's part of our oath. And so how, how you, you enforce law that's valid and, and real and, and passed by Congress and, and, and signed by the President of the United States and law that has been passed in the, in the past, like 1107A, you know, it, I think we, we've done our duty. 
And I think continuing to do exactly what we're doing right now is, is really the only way to do it. And that is to make the American people, the people who ultimately hold the power in this country, aware of what's happening and do it in a respectful and professional way. That's not personal. And I think we've done a stellar job of that so far. And I think we'll continue to do a stellar job of that. But that's really the road forward from here on out is simply just making the constituency aware of the problems. Because to a large degree, it's, it's almost impossible to find this kind of information. I mean, to look up some of this stuff, it, it, it takes takes a knowledge of where to look, how to look, and what to look for. Even on social media and other platforms like Twitter, which is now being you know a little bit deregulated by Elon Musk, it's still hard to find us. And I certainly struggle to, to gain attention on the issue, and I have for the last year. So all that to say is really continuing to do what we're doing right now, which is, which is effective grassroots strategies for raising awareness about issues, is probably the only solution that we have in our hands right now. Because, you know, we have to follow the law, too. And, and following the law for us and following the Constitution for us is adhering to the chain of command, which puts us in an interesting position, but it is the right position to be in. And this is really how American democracy works, and this is how the American Republic, I should say more importantly, because that's what we are as a republic works and that's how i'll continue to adhere and that's how i'll continue to fight. Yeah, and i just wrote a note here political because i i want to congratulate you on this you've been very careful and and speak precisely in this this manner because i i didn't realize at least at one point i was talking to a colonel and there was a major in the room also and i said hey do you want to hear about this and the major said hey i don't want to get political <laughs> we're talking about bioweapons and shots and developed in China. There's nothing political about that. It's all national defense, like directly related to national defense. We have a product that's been in part developed in China and we're injecting it into service members. There's nothing political about that. At least there shouldn't be. But for for whatever reason, it seems to be political. Like like you had mentioned, you know, devoid of politics, the 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 people who support the truth and, and the law as it's written, there, there will be more of those type of people in Congress soon. But what other people may hear is, oh, there's this political party has taken over. But that's not what we said. We don't care what political party you are. You could be purple and, you know, and wear a spaghetti strainer on your head. I don't care if you're for the truth and you're for doing what's right. That's what matters. Well, there's a key distinction. I, I think it's totally acceptable for officers to be political. It's unacceptable for officers to be partisans. And we have never been partisans at all in this entire mandate. I'm only speaking to people who want to support us. Why would I speak to people who don't want to support us? Sure, we'll try to convince them maybe. But it has nothing to do with their political orientation. It has to do with the fact that they're advocating for their constituents. And that's not partisan, that's political. In the same way that it's, it's you know, Participating in the political process is responsibility of every citizen in the United States, including military members. And we certainly don't lose the right to do that. We just have to be careful with how we represent the uniform in that process. And so, you know, that, that's the big key distinction there. And I think uh, it's unfortunate that so many members of the military are afraid to speak up about issues that are totally pertinent to them and that they're totally allowed to talk to out of fear of being political when really they should just be fearful of being partisan. And it's unfortunate that to a large degree, you know, partisan politics have become prescient in the military and just in a way that's, how would I say, more left wing. Um, certainly. And, and so, you know, there, there are certainly a lot of left-wing ideologies that are that are becoming acceptable in the military, and, and the partisan politics are being played in that manner that, that promotes those kind of ideologies. And that's where I think we set a dangerous precedent in the military, and we have, as military members, have a responsibility to speak up about it.
Yeah, I think you're talking a little bit about what like Matthew Lohmeyer kind of blew the whistle on, and you know, go back and listen to his the episode I did with him. It's not a video; it's just an audio. And go check out his podcast also. But he was in the Air Force and then Space Force, and politics and being political and partisan became a really big part of of his life in the military when they were pushing ideas that that didn't need to be pushed. Absolutely. And it's not partisan to, to, to speak up about things like Marxism, in my opinion, because that's that's not that's not that's antithetical to our system of governance. And so to speak up about a political system that is antithetical to the Constitution of the United States is not partisan politics. That's that's following your oath. And that's exactly what Matt did. Matt's a great friend of mine. I have a huge amount of admiration and respect for him and uh, certainly go check him yeah, out. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. It's not even politics. It's just, hey, are you aiding and abetting ideas that are contrary to in direct opposition and lead to more human destruction than than what we've sworn to yeah that's a great point you know i think basically you know my, my last thing that i'd really like to, to put out there to, to all the viewers is is moving forward what's effective and what's not effective and, and to kind of speak to you know i know a lot of service members certainly watch this podcast and so i'd like to speak directly to them first and then talk to the rest of the viewers so so really you know my message to service members and i you know i see a lot of people who are extremely upset and down about the fact that the way the ndaa was passed was was not perfect or ideal for the end state of our goals. I'd like to say personally, um, please celebrate this win. Biden has agreed, President Biden has agreed to sign um, effectively and into the mandate. And what, what, whether whether it's, it's strong or not in its language, it is a humongous PR win for us because what that does is it essentially validates everything we fought for for the last year and a half. That is worth celebrating. Is it worth treating it like an ultimate victory? Absolutely not. We have plenty more work to do. We have plenty more advocacy to do. We have plenty more people who have been harmed, who haven't been made. And so I'm certainly not advocating for that. But I am advocating for when President Biden signs this thing, you know, have a drink and enjoy yourself and, and, and celebrate this because it is a big win and it is worth celebrating. It's worth praising God for and it's worth being happy. And we'll get to the rest. The rest of that is is, is coming and we're not stopping. And to simply be upset about it is, is to some degree stopping. And so, you know, that's my message to service members, especially is, is this is a win this is worth celebrating and let, let's continue to be positive and happy about this and i'm not saying everyone is being doom and gloom let me make that absolutely clear i know plenty of people share my philosophy but for those that don't you know i encourage you i have hope and, and, and be strong in this because we've got more work to do but we, we've gained a major victory and to to those that that are outside the military and to some degree military members themselves as well you know moving forward what's effective i think what's effective is going to be targeting the members of congress who have shown us support and pledged to some degree to make sure that we see an end to this. Because, you know, I've spoken to a number of members of the Senate and, and, and the Congress and the House, and they've all said the same thing, which is that, you know, we want reinstatement with back pay. We want a full resolution to this issue. We want to actually make sure that we fix national security. Make it clear to your members of Congress that this is not going to do anything for fixing national security. This is not going to fix recruiting and retention. People are still disgruntled, and rightfully so. People are still thinking, you know, maybe it's 
it's time to leave the military. This is not an organization for me anymore. And simply rescinding the mandate and getting rid of a requirement for a vaccine, as serious as an issue that might be, is not going to be enough to make people feeling comfortable to join the military or make people comfortable to stay in the military. So I encourage you to make that clear to members of Congress, because unfortunately, Congress is not as interested as they should be in understanding that this is not a lawful mandate or that this is... Um, you know, like like you've made the argument for a bioweapon or anything else like that. They're really mostly interested in national security. And so, you know, you may disagree with my philosophy on that, but my two cents is that make it clear to Congress that this is a national security issue that has not been solved. And they'll listen to that because that's what they've listened to me on many times before. Security is a super important talking point for our Congress. And I think catering to that, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's effective. Moving forward, really my message is that you know, I'm gonna continue, this is my pledge, I'm gonna continue to advocate no matter what, for those service members who are still not made whole by this mandate. And I'm not going to stop until it happens. And that's, I think, what the philosophy everyone should be, hope, I hope, shares so that we can continue to get a real logical conclusion to this. And I hope everyone stays engaged in the fight. And I pray that's the case. And so for all viewers, uh, please keep fighting, keep holding the line. We've basically gained victories this entire time lawsuits injunctions everything else we really haven't taken any major losses this is just another win on the belt and we're going to keep gathering wins so maintain hope maintain your faith maintain your oath to the constitution and continue fighting and i think we'll win i love that philosophy i think that's the perfect balance right because this is it's a huge win it it's not the big win we'd like but do celebrate do enjoy it do you know celebrate with the family but the next day or if it, you know you do it for a week, that's fine too. If you celebrate for a week, but but the next day when you're done celebrating, get back up, wake up, you know, put your armor of God back on, get ready to get back in this this stand for truth, for justice, for for what's right. Because I'm I'm sure you have friends, but I know a man who's 26 years old was a PT stud, which for the non-military people that means he did really good at at working out. He was really fit. He was good at being a soldier. Now he can't walk across a parking lot without getting winded. And it's heartbreaking. It's people like him that, that I'm in this. It's people like Dr. P. Chambers, who he's talked about this quite a bit in public, where he's been injured by this. Those people need to be restored because they were coerced to take something they never wanted to take. You're absolutely right. And, you know, vaccine injuries are a whole separate issue that I didn't even mention that we need to certainly make efforts to make those people whole as well, because they were tricked. They were tricked into taking something that's dangerous and experimental, and those people deserve serious help. And, and they, they it's impossible to make them whole again. Some of these people will never be whole again, especially the ones that have passed away. Heart attacks, strokes. You know, I know one service member who had two heart. She's 22 years old, in the best shape of her life before taking the vaccine. And at 22 years old, this girl has had two heart attacks and now a mini stroke. She's on all kinds of medications, beta blockers, Holter monitors, the whole gamut of things. Her life has been ruined by the shot. How do you even fix that? How do you make someone like that whole? You know, thankfully, we're getting her treatment from Dr. Molly James and, and others, and they've been very generous with her. But nonetheless, you can't fix that. You can't. And, and all we can do is our best to make that better. And, and so, you know, I think that that's another area we need to target as military members. But maybe that deserves its own whole separate podcast. But nonetheless, I'm, you know, I'm not maybe the one not qualified enough to talk about that, that we've handled vaccine injuries extensively in this fight and appealing to Congress. And unfortunately, they're, they're not as interested as they should be. One thing that I think that does help those people, maybe it certainly does not make them whole, 
but it brings them some justice to hold those people accountable, like the doctors in particular. I think it's very important that these doctors who said, oh, don't worry, it's safe and effective. Okay, what does that mean? Where did you get that, that nomenclature? Okay, oh, you can take it in pregnancy. Where did you hear that? Because the studies specifically excluded pregnant or breastfeeding women. In fact, they even told the men, don't get a woman pregnant for 60 days after your last shot. So where did you come up with this? Where did you make up this lie? And those, those doctors need to be held accountable. We need to have pass laws so that this never happens again. Again, that won't make any of these injured and dead people, dead service members and dead civilians and dead children. They won't help them. But it'll at least put up barriers and walls to keep this from ever happening again. Well, John, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure to talk with you. I know it's been a long time coming. I've been hoping to get you on and just everything aligned today. And and I, at the beginning of this, I think you may have been a little hesitant. At least that was my impression to, to talk with me. Because who's this, who's this jack wagon who wants to talk with, with me? Because I know you, you're making big connections. Um, but because at the beginning, I was very nervous to talk to new people also. But now, as the masks have completely come off, we've seen who who are the real patriots, who are the the men and women standing up for truth, honor, and justice. And you are certainly one of those, and hopefully I've, I've shown that I'm one of those with you. And I'm very happy and proud to be standing shoulder to shoulder with you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I certainly was not hesitant to speak with you at all. Quite the contrary, I, I was excited about it because you've been one of the people that's been around from the beginning. I remember your name popping up very early in all of this as an advocate. So, uh, you know, I certainly applaud you in the same way as being a patriot and a true officer standing for their oath. And, you know, you've been a, you've been a major player in, in, in educating all of us on you know, the medical side of how this works and, and what we should be concerned about and where we should target our efforts. And that's been an invaluable resource. So uh, to those viewers that don't know, he's certainly been working with us for a long time. He's a name that pretty much everyone in our community recognizes. So props to you as well. And, and thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you. And sorry for projecting those feelings on you, because those were certainly feelings that I had <laughs> when like Mark, Mark Bashoff first reached out to me. It took me a few moments and I was a little leery, but then, and Mark is a true warrior and, and speaks truth to power and He's, he's a great man and you know go back and listen to my episode with him because he's I was a little nervous the way I got connected with him but but yeah the, I've been able to talk to the most incredible incredible people who are warriors for truth and justice and and speak the truth and lovers of God throughout this whole thing and of all of the bad stuff there's there's so much good that has come out of this because we get to see who people are it's kind of like the idea when you know when let's say you're standing out in the sun and you've got your hand out there and you see the shadow. It's really dark in that shadow. But then right next to that line where the shadow ends, it's the brightest. And we've been able to see how God works through people here on earth. Amen to that. That's an awesome way to put it. Thank you so much again. Keep up. Keep standing for truth and justice. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep listening to the spirit. And, you know, anytime you want to come back, this platform is yours to speak. Well, thank you very much, Sam, and to the viewers, thank you as well for your time and listening to this. It's an important issue, and I look forward to, to continuing to work for everyone here to make this, make, this, make this right and make everyone whole again. God bless. God bless. Thanks, John. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.